Again, it's great to have everyone out this morning as we come together to try to worship God in spirit and in truth. This morning we're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we were on uh, part two of the Beatitudes, and I thought we would finish last week, but time did not permit. And I'm thankful that it did not permit because uh, part three, we're going to deal with persecution. And that's something that hopefully we will never truly come to some of the persecution that we're going to see in our lesson this morning. But if, if times keep going the way they are with the, with the media and such that are turning God's good word into evil and calling evil good, there's going to come a time when we may be persecuted like they were in the first century. When we, we had the virus, you remember when, the, when they tried to shut down the nation, they were trying to shut down places of worship, stay at home. But as we have seen, we have been commanded to meet on the first day of the week. Can we take precautions with the virus? Yes, and we did do that when, that, when, the, when the virus first came about. There was precautions that we could take where we could still come together to meet and satisfy God's command for us all to come together. And so this morning we're going to look at the Beatitudes Part 3. It, the first point being persecuted for righteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Remember the word blessed there can mean happy. And it's hard for us to think of persecution and find happiness in it. But, God, uh, but Jesus is telling us if we have these characteristics that were in the, the Beatitudes, we truly will have a sense of happiness. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so he's saying, if you're, and we're going to see it in our text this morning, if you're persecuted because you're wrongdoing, well, then you're getting what you truly deserve. But when you're being persecuted for doing good, those are the ones that are going to be truly blessed. And so it's doing the word of God. It's right doing. Because the only great reason we know what is pleasing to God is through his engrafted word. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul writing to the Romans, Therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, Jesus. But it's, it's, it, it's, um, I lost the word that I was looking for. It is contingent on this, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation as long as you're walking after the Spirit. If you, you walk after the desires of the flesh, well, then there's still going to be condemnation even when you're in Christ Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, I've made, I've, I alluded to this earlier. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we see this time and time again in the way that the world is, is going and trending that they're calling evil things very good. Things that should not be called good that are contrary to the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy, This know also that in the last days, well, we live in the last days. Uh, you had three dispensations of time. You had the patriarchal age, you had the Mosaic age, and now we live in the Christian age. When Jesus comes back, that's it. That'll be the end of the world as we know it. The great judgment will take place. And so we live in the last days. Perilous times will, shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Can we not see that more so today? They'll be covetous. They want things. They desire things. They'll be boasters, proud. We have pride week shoved down our throats so often because they're very proud. They're blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Uh, that's really, truly where our nation's headed because of the disobedience to parents. That's why we have the world that we have today. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are Traitors, heedy, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. First Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Peter says, But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happier he. Is that not just what Jesus has pretty much said in the Beatitudes? He's saying. But if you're going to suffer, and if you suffer, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And so we can't let, what, fear creep in, that we will become like the world. We can't bend, we can't fold. When we are persecuted for right doing, how are we to combat fear? Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with what? Meekness and fear. We let the word of God direct our steps and our answers. If they ask why, uh, why we are doing what we do, we should have scripture to back it up and tell them what our reward will be. That hope. We have that hope of eternal life. We are to speak gently with meekness but not compromise God's word because we fear him and we fear his judgments. First Peter chapter 3, verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And so our conscience will be clear if we're doing right doing and we're being persecuted for it, our conscience is clear because we are walking what we are preaching. Don't be a hypocrite. How many times does Jesus deal with the hypocrites? Our actions will speak against their false accusations. Verse 17, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And so if we suffer for doing the will of God, we are much better off than if we bend, we break, we crumble, and we become the world because we don't like persecution. What about Joseph? Now, he's a very good example to go to about doing right doing. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the son of Zippah. And remember, these were the maidservants. These were the maidservant wives of Jacob, his father wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. And so Joseph told of his brother's evil activities. Verse 14. Now Jacob speaking to Joseph. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the bell of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And so we can see 
that it appears that Jacob may have often sent Joseph to check on his brethren and to bring him word again. Now, did, did Jacob treat him better than he did his other sons? Yes. And he showed that, that love for him. But we also can read from the text that his brethren were not very uh, good moral people on the, the basis when we studied the book of Genesis, some of the acts and stuff that they were doing. But we also saw that they grew in maturity and they became much more mature and much more morally strong towards the end. Genesis chapter 37, verses 18 and 19, And when they, his brethren, saw him, Joseph, far off, even before he came near on them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one, one another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. And so they wanted to destroy him because of the dreams that he had. But see, those dreams were put into Joseph by God. And they were going to be, um, it was like prophecy of what was going to soon come, the past. Well, what did his brothers do? Because of their hatred. Now, they did elect not to slay him, but then they sold him. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 36, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt on the Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and a captain of the guard. And so his brothers sold him into slavery, and then... Hit the Midianites sold him again to Potiphar. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. And he, talking about Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had. And so Joseph had more knowledge of the possessions of Potiphar than Potiphar knew. He had trust into Joseph. Saved the bread which he did eat. And so the only thing that he knew that he had was what was before him to eat. And Joseph was what? A goodly person and well-favored. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 7 through 9, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And so Potiphar's wife, she cast her eyes, and she said, Lie with me, but he refused. He didn't compromise. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he had committed all that he had to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so even being in prison did not change the character of Joseph. He still was a man working righteousness. He did not want to do anything evil against Potiphar. But every sin that is against God. In Genesis 39, verse 10, And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day. See, that temptation kept, was kept being placed before Joseph that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Remember when Jesus says that if you, if you lust upon it in your mind, you've already committed adultery? If he would even have a thought it could have possibly caused him to compromise. But he kept his thoughts pure. What about Abel? What about Abel for doing right doing? Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect on the Abel and to his offering. 
Well, we're going to see why God had respect to his offering. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And so it was by him being righteous because he with his offering. Abel's offering to God was righteous. Why? Because he offered it by faith. How do we obtain faith? He, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So did faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means that God told them what he expected as a offering. Abel offering was right doing because God told them what he would accept. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Well, why did he not have respect to his offering? 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, John says, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore he slew him. Why did he slew him? Because his own works, his own offering, were evil. And his brother's offering was righteous. That was the reason why he slew his brother. Because his own thing, offering to God was evil. Abel was persecuted by his brother to the point of death because of his well-doing. His, his willingness to give God what he expected. What about John the Baptist? Mark chapter 6 verse 18. For John said on the Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And so it's not so much what John was doing, but we're going to see later what kind of person John was, but he's pointing out the sin of someone else. And he's saying it's not lawful to have thy brother's wife. Notice he didn't say it wasn't lawful to have your wife. Remember that goes back to when we did the thing on marriage. God will not reckon, uh, uh, recognize or bless a marriage that is unlawful. And so John was pointing out Herod's unrighteousness. Will Herod hearken? In Mark chapter 6, verse 17, For Herod himself had sent him forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother's Philip's wife, for he had married her. Again, it's pointing out that Herodias was still married to Philip. It didn't matter that Herod, by law, took her to be his wife. And so he was in prison for it. However, who desired him to be in prison? Herod or Herodias? It was for Herodias' sake. Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 20. For Herod feared God. I mean John. Feared John. Knowing that he was what? A just man. A holy. And observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And so Herod listened to John's counsel. Because John was a righteous man. In Mark chapter 6 verse 19. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him. Well he's trying to get in between their relationship. And so now she has something against John for it. And would have him killed but she could not do it. So she had him in prison. Herodias is the one who wanted John dead. Mark chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday was made a supper to his lords, his high captain, and chief estates of Galilee, 
And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. That was that promiscuous dancing there. And so what does she do? Does she give him an answer? Mark chapter 6, verse 24. And she went forward and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. The daughter asked nothing for herself, but instead seeks the mother's demands. Mark chapter 6, verse 25. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded because of his beliefs, his desire to help others see their wrongs. He was persecuted. Mark chapter 6, verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet for his own sake, he made an oath. And for the sakes which sat with him, he was there with very, very influential men, the Lord's high captain and chief of states of Galilee. He would not reject her. And he regretfully agrees. Mark chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went in and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head in the charger and gave it to the damsel. So it doesn't even sound like Herod knew who was behind the plot. He gave it to the damsel as she requested, and then watched, and the damsel gave it to her mother. Point number two this morning, persecuted for Christ. The first point was when you're purchased uh, persecuted for doing right doing. Now we're going to look at when you're persecuted for Christ. When you're speaking on behalf of Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, I think this one kind of ties the two together. Yea, all that will live what? Godly. Where? In Christ Jesus. Shall suffer persecution. Living godly as for righteousness righteousness sake, living godly in Christ Jesus is for his sake, for his church, and for his gospel. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, but it's going to come at a cost with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. And so this verse here tells us we don't have eternal life now. That's in the world to come. It's in a hope. Just as Peter said, to give them a with meekness and fear the hope that's in us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. This is the other verse that Sean read for us this morning. Blessed are ye when ye shall revile you, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, 
How hard is that when people are persecuting you to the point of possibly death? And he's telling us to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Peter says, Yet if any man has suffered as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. Let you glorify God being a Christian on this name. We don't want to let persecution make us shameful of being a Christian. Moving us to deny Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, when Paul's writing to Timothy again, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And so if our suffering causes us to deny him, he's going to deny us. We can't allow persecution to deny Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, we use this many times in the plan of salvation. Whoso, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And so that phrase shall confess there comes from the Greek word homo. I'm going to kill it anyways. Homologio. Oh, and I, I know that's wrong. But, uh, it means to assent, i.e. covenant, acknowledge, Confess, profess. Confession is made, give thanks, promise. And so it's after our confession made on the salvation, Romans 10, 9, and 10, we are to continue to profess Christ to others. We can't deny Christ when the persecution comes. In Acts chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, let's see what happened to John and Peter. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and to intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And so the apostles did not heed the commandments of the council. This would be that Sanhedrin council. This is the same council that Jesus went before. That, that great trial that he, he was given, right? Acts chapter 5 verse 40 and to him they agreed and when they had called the apostles well there was one that gave wide counsel and if you read in the text it's Gamaliel that's the same teacher of Paul and he said basically I, I didn't put it in here but he said if it's of God you can't stop it if it's not of God it's going to go away and so there the council agreed with him and when they had called the apostles and beaten them they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so they were beaten and commanded again by the council. This physical persecution will probably break the apostles' spirit for the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Remember, remember what Jesus said? You be, be happy and rejoice. Rejoicing that they were counted what? Worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were counted worthy to wear the name Christian. They rejoiced 
Will they stop teaching or will they continue? In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, and daily in the temple, in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They were not deterred. Why? Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. That's the very uh, very scripture that we went to when, when it looked like the government was going to shut down the worship service. We obey the laws of man until they what? They contradict the laws of God. We ought to abide God rather than man. God tells us on the first day to assemble. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-28, listen to what Paul went through for Christ. There were some there that were saying that they were ministers of Christ, and, and so he's, he's saying, I'm going to speak as a fool. He says, isn't I more of a servant than Christ? In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, as we read in the, the great book of Acts, that was at Lystra. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And night and a day I had been in the deep. And so he was lost at sea in the water for a day and a night. In journeyings often. And so where did what's going to happen in his journeys, those missionary journeys that we read about? He was in perils of water. He was in perils of robbers. He was in perils by his own countrymen. He was in peril by the heathen. He was in peril perils in the city he was in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren so there you see it was even coming from within the church in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst in fasting often in cold and nakedness besides those things that are without those are the things he was suffering outside the, the church. That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. His love for the brethren. Why was Paul encountering all this? In Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, when the Lord uh, in a vision comes to Ananias, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. Well, before that, Ananias says, Whoa, 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 I've heard about this man Saul and the great things that he's doing against the church and how he has letters to take those and bring them to prison. But the Lord has given him comfort. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. That, that, that's that apostleship there. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. The persecution that Paul brought against the church was not going to go unpunished. He was going to suffer great things for Christ. But Paul did not stumble. 
He did not compromise. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he, he tells Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Through all this persecution that Paul went through, he stayed faithful till the end. What about Stephen? In Acts chapter 7, verses 51 and 52, when he delivers that great sermon of the Old Testament, and he tells them that day, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Well, how did they and their fathers resist the Holy Ghost? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by what? The will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Ghost were teaching the prophets. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are ye that are persecuted for my sake, because they persecuted the prophets. And so the prophets were inspired by the Holy Ghost, but how about Stephen? Well, in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, when they had the Grecian widows that were being uh, neglected, and they were told to choose seven men, and that the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose who? Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parthenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And so Stephen, too, he was inspired by the Holy Ghost. And he's delivering a sermon, and they're going to reject the Holy Ghost when he's preaching just as the prophets did in the old times. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that sermon preached by Stephen was inspired by the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 7, verse 52, Which of the prophets had not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one. So he's talking about Christ, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. And so Stephen's not letting them off the hook. He says, you're the betrayers of Christ, and you're the murderer of Christ. They resisted the Holy Ghost by slaying, persecuting the prophets, the very men who were prophesying about Jesus. Now Stephen is telling the Jews they are the betrayers and murderers of Christ. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with the teeth. They got a, he got a different response than on the day of Pentecost when Peter said, with wicked hands you have taken and, and slew Christ, and God has raised him up and made him both Lord and Christ. What was theirs? And when they were pricked in their hearts, they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? It's all on the, the, the condition of the heart of the hearer. These men's hearts were not right. Their father's hearts were not right. They were cut to the heart. Stephen knows he has anchored him. Will he let fear overtake him? Acts chapter 7 verse 56 And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He's still proclaiming it. Still professing that Christ is the Son of God. In Acts chapter 7, verses 57 and 58, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear it anymore. And ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That would be his Hebrew name. His, his Greek name would be Paul. 
They persecute him to the point of death. Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to your charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Look at the mind of Stephen, even at the end. His compassion, his mercy towards the very men who were taking his life. Now, he didn't say, I forgive them. Remember how forgiveness comes. That's from repentance. But he, he's pleading with the Lord not to hold this sin against their charge. He had great compassion. Even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Compassion. Mercy. How are we going to be able to in, encounter all the persecution? It's those other traits that we've already read about. That, that humble spirit, that, that spirit to have mercy, to have that love and compassion for others. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul's given a warning. But evil men and seducers shall what? Wax worse and worse. Now, have we gotten to the point of the days of Noah? I would say not, because it said all thoughts were evil continuously. But we're headed that direction. Deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hath been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we what? Trust in the living God. So what Peter was saying. We ought to obey God rather than man, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. And so this morning, if you are not a Christian, we, have, we extend that invitation. It's been going on for almost 2,000 years. It starts by hearing the Word of God, because that's how our faith comes, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Well, what is our faith in? Our faith is, when we read this great book, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And many, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. And then once you read it and you realize that your ways are different from God's way, that's going to re re result in one of repentance. That is to have a change of heart that produces a change of life. Jesus says without repentance we will perish. He doesn't say it once, but he says it twice. In Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then you must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, just as the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. As we had heard earlier, that is the confession made unto salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth on the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You're headed in the right direction. 
And then you must allow someone to immerse you in water, that is to bury you with Christ, to have that old, uh, to crucify that old man of sin, to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. That's what Ananias told Paul. He says, And now why tearest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism will put you in Christ. Remember, we are to live godly in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And then at that time you're added to the Lord's church, Acts 2, 47. Praising God and having favor with, it, with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And then you must live that faithful life until death. You must, even through persecution, remain faithful in God. Revelation 2.10, Jesus gives a great promise. Fear none of those things which ye shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Perhaps you have obeyed the gospel, but perhaps you have slipped back into the world. Maybe it was through persecution. Well, if you need the prayers of the church to be restored at this time, we, if we can help you in either way, if you'll come to the front, as together we stand and sing this song of encouragement.